You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. this morning as we continue our study in the book of Acts. Uh, we're going to, uh, just to kind of give you a synopsis of where we've been and, and uh, where we're going today, if you remember, uh, Stephen was, uh, was killed for his, his dedication and devotion to Christ. And as we covered in a three-part series, A Brief History of Crime, Stephen discussed all the crimes of, that humanity has had against God. And so we see that uh, Stephen was himself stoned because of his devotion to Christ Jesus. And then from that point uh, forward, Saul, who would later become Paul, he scatters the church. He, he engages in a massive campaign against the church, and, uh, and, and he, he actually imprisons some Christians. He scatters other Christians. And this scattering actually God used for good. What Saul had at that point in time intended for bad... God used, used for good. And we, we pick up and we see that Philip, a man of God, went forth and he, uh, and he was proclaiming. It's funny, we have a Philip and we have a Stephen. These names are kind of coinciding. You know, here it's, it's kind of funny to say this. But anyhow, uh, Philip, he's going forth and he is proclaiming the word of God all across the area. And we pick up in verse 9 where he is going into Samaria preaching the word of God. And while he's there, uh, people come to faith. But there's one particular individual in this community named Simon who becomes a bit of a thorn in Philip's flesh, as you'll see in a few moments, and in fact, to the church itself. We see in verse 9, we pick up there in chapter 8, but there was a certain man named Simon who previously practiced sorcery. Uh, some people will call Simon the sorcerer. Other people will call him uh, Simon, I believe, Magus, or Magus, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he's known by both of those names. Practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest. 
uh, saying, This man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed. But now was Simon, here's the, big, here's the $100 million question, was Simon's commitment to Christ genuine? Well, I think you're going to see that it may not be as genuine as Simon says it was. And you'll see. He was baptized. He continued with Philip. And it's not that, that, it's not that he was trying to learn of God. He was continuing with Philip to see what Philip was doing. He, he, was, he was by Philip's coattail, seeing what Philip was doing here. And so he continued with Philip. He was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Now, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, were, who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Now, let me take a pause here. Generally speaking, when we receive Christ, the Holy Spirit comes down instantaneously. We don't know exactly what happened here. There was a bit of a pause between their salvation and the, and, the, and, the, and the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit coming down upon them. And it may have been partly due to something we'll see that the mode of baptism they used may have had something to do with it. I don't know 100%, but this was a unique thing. It was not the standard mode of operation. Normally the Holy Spirit comes down and infiltrates a believer's life at the moment of salvation. Okay, so, so, um, so we go on. We apostles have received word. They sent Peter and John to them. The Holy Spirit had not yet come, for as yet he had, uh, he had fallen upon none of them, they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, not the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. When they laid hands on them, they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hand, the Holy Spirit was given, look what he does here. He offers them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Let me have this power exclusively so that I can, at the highest bidder, give whoever wants the Holy Spirit, give it to that individual, and I can make a killing off this, guys. Man, you're just not manipulating this enough. I can make a killing off this. Let me have this exclusive power. Well, Peter said to him, Your money perish with you, because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this manner, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of, this, of your wickedness, and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Then Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me, that none of these things which you have spoken may come upon me. So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Your kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and what it means to us. We just ask you, Lord, to use me as your instrument. Allow me to speak the words that need to be spoken and hold back any words that don't need to be spoken. So that even through it all, Lord, our eyes would be opened, our ears would be, that we ears would hear, and that our hearts would, be, uh, uh, would apply these truths and be better for it. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. How many of you have ever heard the song, The Great Pretender? Anyone ever heard that song? Back in, I think it was November, if I'm not mistaken, 1955, a guy by the name of Buck Ram, who was part of uh, this, this megastar group called The Platters, 
wrote within 20 minutes this song, The Great Pretender, to accompany another hit of theirs, Only You. Now, how many guys did you sing Only You to your soon-to-be wives? Anybody? Nobody. Wow. I wasn't expecting that. All right, so uh, we've got some work to do, guys. <laughs> But anyhow, uh, he wrote this song in 20 minutes to follow up this song, Only You, that the platter sung. And I am not going to try to sing this today because I would run everybody out if I did. But the words of the chorus read, Only you, yes, I'm the great pretender. Excuse me, I got the songs mixed up. I'm the great pretender, ooh, just laughing. (laughs) That's my attempt, Francis. (laughs) Yeah, I think a little bit. (laughs) Uh, I might better. (laughs) Just laughing and gay like a clown. Ooh. I seem to be what I'm not. You see, I'm wearing my heart like a crown, pretending that you are still around. In other words, what this guy is doing is he is looking back his long-lost love This lady whom he loved with all of his heart, she has left him high and dry. And he's looking back saying, I'm just going to pretend that she's still by my side. I'm going to pretend that I'm okay. I'm going to pretend that everything in life is the way it should be. But is it for this guy, this crooner who is singing over his long lost love? No, it's not. He wouldn't be singing the great pretender if he was not in fact pretending that he uh, wasn't being a great pretender. In like manner, we see that Simon the sorcerer was a great pretender when, when, it, when it comes to the faith. He had, he had seen the power of the Holy Spirit. He himself was a great manipulator. He used these magic tricks, the sleight of hands, uh, maybe illusionist, and maybe, uh, in fact, some of the early Christians believe in the 2nd and 3rd century, believe that he may have been empowered some by the power of Satan. Uh, that he's doing all of this, though, to build himself up, to build himself up as being something to be God, is what he wants everyone to believe that he is. And when he sees the true power of God coming through Philip and coming through the New Testament church, he's threatened by this. And he says, wait a minute, this is going to cause a lot of problems in my pocketbook. You know, if I'm looking here at my wallet, you know, I'm making all this money tricking people, and man, this is going to take a hurting here. Uh, I've got to do something about this. So he has the old adage, if you can't beat them, join them. So he claims to be a Christian. He claims to come to Christ. And by doing so, he really did not make a commitment of faith. He himself was a great pretender. Ooh, he really was. He was a great pretender. And we see five ways uh, of this great pretender. Uh, and, And folks, what I want to do today is to warn you that there are, Jesus warns us of this, that there are wolves in sheep's clothing. Amen? There are individuals who will posit themselves as being genuine believers, but who have not really truly placed their faith and, and, and heart in the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are many individuals, now listen closely, there are many individuals on television and on radio who claim to be of Christ, but who are telling nothing more than lies from the pits of hell. Amen? And I'm not one who normally names names, but I'm going to tell you one. Stay away from this guy, and that's Kenneth Copeland. 
He is one of the most dangerous, one of the most dangerous voices you'll see on television. The things he espouses to make money for himself, and I'm not talking about making a living, I'm talking about making millions and billions of dollars, uh, is, is astronomical, it defies imagination. Clevelo Dollar is another one. Uh, Clevelo Dollar is another one. He recently had a campaign where he asked his congregation to raise $65 million so that he could have a, what was it, Jetstream G650 Learjet. Now, beloved, understand there's, one, there's a difference between needing air transportation and needing this type of jet. Remember Kenny, uh, Kenny, Marsh, Kenny Hamlin, he used to fly for... Um, NASCAR, and he told me as he flies jets, he says, that's the Cadillac of Lear jets. There's no need for someone to have to have that type of, of jet. I'm just telling you this, beloved, to understand, to make absolutely certain that not everyone who stands in the pulpit, not everyone who claims to Jesus to be their Savior, really is of Christ. Amen? So how do you tell the great pretender? Well, we're going to look at five different ways. We're going to see pride, popularity, phoniness, profiteering, and perversion. These are the five things we'll be discussing today. Number one, we see that Simon the sorcerer illustrated and demonstrated the pride of a great pretender. Look at verse 9. He says, uh, as he's, he's manipulating, he's going forth in Samaria. He's claiming that he was someone great. Now understand, that type of pride is, very, is a very antithesis to the Christian faith. Because we as Christians realize that we could not save ourselves. That is by grace through faith, by God's gift of salvation given to us, that we are born again. You can't save yourself, beloved. I can't save myself. That's why God had to come down. That's why God came in Christ, Jesus Christ, died upon the cross for your sins and for mine, so that we would have life and have life more abundantly. You can't save yourself. That's the message of Christianity. All other worldviews claim uh, talk about how we can reach up to God, whereas Christianity illustrates how God has reached down to us. And He has saved us. He has saved us simply by accepting the salvation that He offers to us. So we see that pride is the very antithesis of, of the Christianity. His sorcery amazed the Samaritan people and had gained Simon a great deal of popularity, as we'll see here in a few moments. And he has this pride that, that really is really unbecoming that shows what he is all about. The Hebrew word for, for pride is the word ge'on, which, which talks about height. It's, the, it's a picture, it's a word picture saying that someone proclaims himself or herself to be taller than they really are. Now, let me just give you an illustration on this. Whenever I was growing up, I loved watching professional wrestling. Anybody else there? Back when it was actually good. I'm talking about the days of Ric Flair, Ricky the Dragon, Steamboat, the Road Warriors, you know, come in with their spikes and everything. Man, they were just powerhouses. But my favorite of all was Hulk Hogan. You know, he would come out there ripping a shirt, doing this number here, getting the crowd all up in a frenzy. And he was billed as being six foot eight, three 303 pounds from Venice Beach, California. You know. I told Dad, I said, I'm going to be six foot eight. Dad told me, honey, uh, your genetics probably is not going to let you be six foot eight. 
I'm going to be six foot eight, Dad. You remember this? I'm going to be six foot eight when I grow up. I'm going to be like Hulk Hogan. I'm going to stand six foot eight inches tall. Well, I just celebrated my 40th birthday. I'm done growing at this point. And I'm nowhere close to six foot eight inches tall. Amen? Now, I can claim that I am six foot eight inches tall, but I am just deluding myself if I were to say that. Amen? I can't say to you that I am six foot eight inches tall because I'm not. That word, ge'on, in Hebrew is illustrating the fact someone proclaiming themselves to be taller than they really are. The scripture notes that a prideful life is antagonistic towards the Christian life. Pride led to the fall of Satan in Ezekiel chapter 28 and also in Isaiah 14. Pride leads to one's destruction, we see in Proverbs 11:2 and 16:18. Jesus confronted the pride of the religious leaders of his day in Luke 14 and Luke 18. We also see a more problematic issue of pride in that if one feels that he or she is self-sufficient, that is a dangerous attitude to have because pride will make us feel that we are self-sufficient, that we are independent, that we don't need anyone or anything, that we don't even need God. But the only way that could ever be true is if you created yourself. Anyone in here ever created themselves? Anyone ever absolutely created yourself? You know, you weren't born, you just magically appeared. You made yourself exist and made yourself come to being. I don't think any of us can say that we did that. We depend upon God. God is the only free, truly free, self-sufficient individual being there is. So we must stop this attitude that we have that we are completely independent and realize that we are dependent completely upon God. Because if God wished, He could just take His mind off of us and we would just not exist anymore. You exist because God allowed you to exist. You have life because God gave you life. God implanted your soul in your mortal body. And if it had not been for God, nothing would exist whatsoever. Amen? So we depend upon God for everything. So pride is the antithesis of the Christian life. Popularity is also an attribute of a great pretender. Simon's main emphasis was on himself, and you can see this in verses 11 and 12. He's proclaiming himself to be something great, and he's making people believe that he has this great power from God because of all of these illusions and tricks that he's doing to try to get people to believe that he is something great. You see, that's what he's after. He is after... He wants people to pay attention to him. He wants people to devote themselves to him, not to God, but to himself. Let me just tell you something right here, right now. Some preachers, some pastors, some televangelists will say, you absolutely have to have me. If if you pay me an exorbitant amount of money, I'm going to send you my sweaty scarf that I prayed over, and you can put it under your pillow, even though it's probably going to stink by that time. You can pay for this, and you can have this because you need this. I want you to understand something here today. I don't think anybody in here does, and I hope you don't. But do not worship Brian Chilton. Amen? Bob, (laughs) you let me down there, brother. (laughs) Don't worship Brian Chilton. Worship Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. I don't want your focus to be upon me. I want your focus to be upon the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, because that is where the true authority is at, my friend. Amen? That's where the true authority is at. So if someone comes to you and they say, you need me, You absolutely have to have me as the interpreter of this. You absolutely have to have me as your high priest. 
Understand there's something wrong there. Christopher Burcham, he, he came and preached for a revival. And, and if you remember the time he was here before, he told us that he has met every president from the time of Gerald Ford to, to the recent president today. And he's mentioned that, that he's found some, a common thread. Some have this more than others. But every one of these individuals have this type of charisma. Some of these individuals, some even who have different political views than he himself holds, has said that they have this type of charisma where you not only want to like them, but you want them to like you back. There's this personal charisma oozing from these candidates, and that's how come they become popular enough to be able to run for public office. You have to have that type of charisma to be able to sell yourself to the American people to proclaim yourself to be something great. Charisma can be a good thing, but charisma can be abused. Amen? If you don't believe me, look at Jim Jones. Look at David Koresh. Those guys were very charismatic individuals. Those guys were individuals who could take in individuals and make you feel that you needed them, that you had to have them, and that you couldn't go to anyone else except for them. But were they teaching the truths of Jesus Christ? Not a bit. I dare submit to you today that others throughout history have been the same way. Joseph Smith is one. Charles Taze Russell is another. Individuals, uh, the guy who made the Dianetics, the, the Scientology stuff that you see out in California, uh, he's a very charismatic individual. Christians should not seek to elevate themselves, but should take on the humble characteristics of Christ. Because Philippians 2, 5-8 tells us that Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited, Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Why did he do that? Because he loved you and myself. Because he realized that it was only by the atoning death of a perfect individual that would allow us the opportunity to be saved. Be careful who you let in your head, folks. What I'm trying to tell you. Be careful who you let into your head and make sure uh, that you put Christ as the number one in your life and no other. Number three, the phoniness of a great pretender. We see this in verses 12 and 13. When they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed or said he did. Now let's, let's flip back over to verse 21 and 22 and see what Simon said. Simon said, due to the action of Simon, the sorcerer, he says, you have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, Simon. He made this profession of faith, making individuals think that he was a Christ. But was his heart truly of Christ? No, not a bit. He was a phony. Phony as baloney. Uh, you know, he's phony as could be. While believers do not judge, we do have discernment. And especially we have to have this when we give money away to charities. I, I cannot tell you how many individuals call me on a given week saying, does your church help people in need? And I'll say, what is your need? I need money for gas. Or I need money for a power bill. And, 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 and most times I'll say, well, come and meet with myself and the deacons. Come and meet with us. And I have yet to see a single person who will ever take me up on that offer. I have yet to see. We have to be careful where we place our money. We have to be careful where we place our attention. 
is Jesus says, be wise as a serpent and innocent as a dove. Amen? I'm all for helping out individuals who, who actually need help. But we have to be discerning, beloved. And that's what I think we see through Scripture. We have to be discerning. Number four, the profiteering of a great pretender in verses 14 and 19. Listen, Peter and John comes and they lay their hands upon the people. The Holy Spirit comes down like a mighty rushing wind upon these individuals. And what does Simon want to do? He wants to buy this power from Peter and John so that he can exploit this and make a killing. Because, man, if you were the only individual, amen, Steve, if you were the only individual who had the power to give God's presence to other individuals, you would make a killing. Amen? You would make a killing. As Baptists, we believe in the priesthood of all believers, which means this, that Christ is your high priest. And because of the atoning work of Christ on the cross, you have open access to the throne of God that you can come calling upon the name of Jesus Christ and God will hear your prayers. You don't have to, again, $65 million jets, all these type of things, beloved. If there is a need and it's genuine, that's one thing. But nine times out of ten, I would dare say that this is nothing more than just fluff, pomp and circumstance. It's not a sinful thing to earn a good living. It's not a sinful thing to have nice things. However, it is a sin when a person makes material things the whole focus of their lives. Amen? That's where the problem comes. And when an individual comes and they say that I'm going to manipulate God, manipulate God to become the only soul giver of the Holy Spirit of God, there's definitely a problem. That's how cults start. Amen? That's how cults start. Number five, last but certainly not least, we see the perversion of a great pretender in verses 20 through 25. Peter was not taken by Simon's charisma. Did you see this? Peter, he wasn't taken by Simon's charisma. He saw straight through the fluff right to the heart of the matter. He saw that because Simon was trying to buy the Holy Spirit, his heart was not of God. Amen? His heart was not of God. Peter appealed to Simon to genuinely repent because I believe Peter and John genuinely cared about Simon, genuinely repent of his sins in verse 22 and 23, turn to Christ so that his poisoned and bitter heart would be healed. Look at verse 23. The word bitterness is employed there. This, is, this term in Greek is the word pikria, which represents bitter gall and emotional bitterness. But we go on down to verse 24, and, and Simon says, pray for me. Verse 25, Luke transitions to the next topic. He says that when they had testified and preached the word of God, uh, they preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages to the Samaritans. But what happens to Simon? What happened to him? Did he come back to receive Christ? Did he come back and, and accept Jesus as a Savior? Did he repent of his sins? Well, to do this, I did a little investigation of 2nd century Christians to see what they had to say, late 1st century, 2nd century Christians. Justin Martyr says a few things about um, Simon. And he says that uh, uh, Simon claimed to be, he later claimed to be a type of Messiah. He didn't come to Jesus. He was trying to promote himself as the Messiah instead of Jesus. Justin even attributes his works as demonic in nature. Irenaeus claims that Simon Magus, or that is Simon the sorcerer, was the innovator of the Gnostic movement, a heresy that developed in the late 1st century and into the 2nd century 
Simon may have been one of the individuals who developed a cult from Christianity. So he didn't turn to Christ. Hippolytus says that Simon even confronts the apostles in Rome. He was a thorn in their side throughout ministry in these various parts. Not only was he a thorn in, their, in Philip's side in Samaria, he became a thorn apparently in the sides of Peter and Paul as they were ministering in, in the Rome, in the area of Rome. So not, the point is, Simon never truly turned his heart and life to Christ Jesus. He proclaimed to be of Jesus, but was he really? Was he really? He wasn't. The point is, from the teachings of Scripture, we have to be careful. Amen? Because I really believe that the devil plants wolves in sheep's clothing. And as we turn to Christ, we need to be grounded in the Word of God. We need to be in, in, in strict communion with the Holy Spirit so that we are not taken aback by these wolves in sheep clothing. Did you know that, uh, that of the Jim Jones movement, many individuals who were part of that movement were very intelligent individuals. We're talking about businessmen. We're talking about doctors. We're talking about people who should know better. But they were taken in by this, this charisma of Jim Jones. And then you know the story... Everyone, nearly everyone there, I believe everyone there, except Jim Jones himself, and how convenient for him, everyone drunk the poison and killed themselves, except for Jim Jones. We have to be careful. Paul tells Titus to avoid, uh, to avoid divisive individuals, especially those who are leading us astray from the clear, true teachings of Scripture. Jesus warns us in Mark 13, 22, that false messiahs and prophets will arise and will perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if even possible, the elect. Paul advises Timothy to preach the word in season and out of season, rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching, for the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have itching ears to hear what they want to hear. They will turn aside from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. Are there many wolves in sheep's clothing on television? <laughs> you bet. Amen? Are there wolves in sheep's clothing on the radio? Absolutely. So understand, beloved, we need to turn to Jesus. We need to be grounded in the truth of God's Word for our own spiritual protection because Satan will try to deceive you any way he possibly can. Let me just close with this. How many of you have ever seen the movie Throw Mama from the Train? I think it's back in the 1980s, if I'm not mistaken. I know, I've gone from the great pretenders to throw Mama from the Train. Now, Mama, I promise I'm not going to try to throw you from a train. That's not the purpose of this. But if you remember the story, starred Billy Crystal and Danny DeVito, and the story is of Larry, played by Billy Crystal, this professor, literature professor, whose ex-wife steals his book and makes a killing off of it. And he becomes embittered by this. How could this woman do this to him? How could she steal his book? How could she sell it? How could she make a killing off of it? And the story goes, Owen, one of his students, misunderstands the advice he gives. Owen has a mother who is very controlling over him. And Owen thinks that Larry's trying to tell him if Owen kills 
his ex-wife, Larry's ex-wife, and Larry will come and kill his mother. Well, obviously, it works out in the end. It was misconception. You know, but after, after Larry finds out that his ex-wife didn't really die, he's happy about that. But then he starts having these dreams where he finds himself irritated at this woman. He pictures himself just choking her, choking her. And at the last of the movie... You remember the last scene of the movie, one of the last scenes? He's picturing himself choking her, then automatically he notices that the person he's really choking is himself. I think that's a great illustration. I think it's a great illustration in many ways. But, beloved, if we, we need to evaluate ourselves first and foremost and, and make sure that we know that we know that we know that we're born again. If you have the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit of God in your heart and life, that's a sign that you, that you have a Christ in your heart. If you, uh, if you strive to live a life of holiness, and you strive to do as Jesus instructs you to do, that's a good sign that you're on the right track. But understand, beloved, that when we allow bitterness like this and we have these delusions when our hearts aren't really, lie, aren't really right with Christ, we are like that Larry guy. We choke ourselves of spiritual blessings that Christ wants to give us in, the whole, in and through the Holy Spirit. And by allowing ourselves to be duped by false teachings, by false doctrines, we're choking ourselves as well. Surrender every aspect of your life to Christ. Don't allow pride to rule your life. Number three, don't live your life trying to please everyone else so that you can become popular. Understand, if you, uh, if you have a right relationship with God, that's all the popularity you need. Amen? Be genuine in your walk with the Lord. Don't befriend others to see what you can get in return. Guard your heart so that you will not be duped by false teachers. Guard your mind and your soul with sound doctrine so that you will not fall for the lies of Satan. Beloved, in this day and time in which we live, there are many false doctrines out there. There are many false teachers out there. My prayer is that we will not be duped by the lies of Satan, but that we will stand steadfast in the promises of God and rely truly upon Jesus Christ. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you to come down and receive Him before it's eternally too late. Maybe your walk with Christ isn't what you want it to be. And maybe you want to strengthen, rededicate your life with Him. We encourage you to come down as well. Or maybe you would like to join Huntsville Baptist Church, the ministry we have here. We encourage you to do that as well. Whatever the Holy Spirit is saying and doing in your heart, we just ask that you would respond according to the, to the impression the Holy Spirit is making upon your heart this morning. Dear kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the warnings of Scripture. We thank you so much that you have given us the truth that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our paths so that we can stay on path with you so that we won't be fooled by the lies of Satan so that we won't be fooled by the powers of darkness so that we can depend truly and solely upon you and understand that our hearts and minds and souls belong to you that without you nothing would exist that exists Lord help us to rely more solely upon you help us to trust more fully in your word and help us to deepen our hearts and our minds
expressed on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of bellatorchristi.com or its affiliates. The Bellator Christi podcast is a production of bellatorchristi.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights reserved. The theme song is Crucified, written by John and Michaela Lemonese, performed by Crosby Lane, and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit bellatorchristi.com and subscribe so that you can receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox for free. Catch us on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childers saying God bless, and we'll see you the next time as we enter into the arena of ideas. In his lifetime, Charles Spurgeon preached to over 10 million people, and his sermons have been changing millions more ever since. The CSB Spurgeon Study Bible weaves thousands of his words, notes, and excerpts into a rich daily study experience designed to bring to life the words of Charles Spurgeon alongside the words he loved and cherished his entire life. No one would be more surprised than Spurgeon to discover such a thing as the Charles Spurgeon Study Bible. And yet I think he would be both surprised and delighted. I would say that Spurgeon, as much as any preacher of an earlier era, has impacted my pastoral ministry. Not in terms of the actual content itself, as much as the approach to scripture, as it were, on his knees. It's a material that has stood the test of time. And so for it to be encapsulated in this one form uh, is, is just a terrific resource. And I think that what it's going to do is broaden the understanding of the Bible and at the same time give to people an understanding of Spurgeon. With a rich and beautiful design, the Spurgeon Study Bible introduces readers to the insights and wisdom of Spurgeon as a pastoral guide through the Bible that includes his writings, journal entries, lost sermons, and resources not available anywhere else. For someone who's barely heard the name Spurgeon and perhaps has never even read anything that he wrote, the study Bible is going to be a revelation. Right there, page by page, book by book, they are introduced to Spurgeon at his very best. One of the things that will be immediately attractive to them is the fact that they will see Spurgeon's own handwriting within the prints of the Bible. So that not only did they have his comments, but they have his comments as they were originally written down. It is immediately appealing to the eye, as well as you know, rewarding to the mind. For the student of uh, scripture and the lover of Spurgeon, it's a treasure trove. Throughout his life, Spurgeon gave himself to knowing, loving, and proclaiming the truth of Christ. Each edit and inclusion in the CSB Spurgeon Study Bible follows this passion, that every reader might get into the very heart of the Word of God. There's a certain element in this study Bible that causes the reader to feel almost that they are inhabiting the time of Spurgeon himself. It's clearly all about the one 
whom he longs to preach and proclaim. This is the great value that is to be found in the material. I hope that this study Bible is going to introduce a whole new group of people to Spurgeon himself and to the influence that he had, and that because the heart of man is the same no matter where he finds himself or she finds herself. And Spurgeon's timeliness, indeed his timelessness, is that. Experience God's Word and the legacy of Charles Spurgeon. To find out more, visit csbspurgeonstudybible.com. first wrote evidence that demands a verdict. Truth wasn't so much an issue as what is truth, can you know truth, but now it is. Some of the issues are different because of the internet, like the claim that Jesus doesn't even exist. Are there other gospels that should have been in the Bible? Is Christianity just a copycat religion? So when we updated this, because I hear it from students so often, I thought we have to have the single best chapter that responds to this claim, and I think we do. We had to rewrite Evidence Demands a Verdict because there's so much new evidence out there. It's like one Greek scholar said, the evidence now for the scriptures is like a tsunami, an avalanche that is hitting, and we want you to be aware of that. We want every young person, every student, every pastor, every professor to be aware of the new evidence out there, to understand not just what they believe, but why they believe it. Evidence that demands a verdict. On sale everywhere, October 3rd, 2017. Go to hashtag true evidence.